You may be seated. Good morning. I hope everybody's doing all right today. Uh, he is risen. Uh, okay. <clears throat> that was very coordinated. We're going to try that again. He is risen. Yeah, all right. So here's, here's what we're going to do. I say he is risen. You say he is risen indeed. Ready? He is risen. Now listen, I enjoyed the little whoo, that was awesome, because that's, you know, it's a day, day of celebration. So we're going to do it one more time, this time louder, right, ready? Because we want the Methodist church to know that we're better than them. <laughs> and they're just right across the street there, so let's do it. Ready? He is risen. He is risen. Yes, he is. And ladies and gentlemen, if it wasn't for the resurrection, um, we might as well just all go home. If it didn't happen... We are wasting our time. I love the Bible. I love God. But at the center of our faith is a resurrected Savior that conquered the grave. And that's an amazing thing. Um, can I have a little bit more light in the room? <clears throat> Would be great. Um, you cannot have a resurrection without having death. You can't. There's no way you can have a resurrection without having death. And... You can't have life unless there's death. So Jesus says, I am the way. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. He does say that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, let me just, hold on, just sit here a minute. Hold on. Oh, the first service was awesome. This has been awesome so far, and I'm just coming down, so now I need to come back up. So here we go. We're going to do this song. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life is what he says. You can't have a resurrection without death. And he says that he's the life, and that means there isn't any other life anywhere else other than through him. The life, the only life. So everything else must be death. So you're either living in Jesus and living in his life, you're either transformed by the resurrection and living in life, or you're not. It is no gray area, you can't be in the middle. So, you can't have a resurrection without death, and he is the life, and that means everything else that you would experience in this life is death, but if you experience him, you have life, and his life is tied in to the resurrection. So, with that in mind, I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And we're going to start reading with verse 1, John chapter 11. And it says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. I'm going to pause there a moment because that, that's interesting to me. The reason it's interesting is because in chapter 12, it says that Mary, the same Mary, also anointed Jesus' feet. And I've thought about this a little bit, and at first I thought, well, he's just referencing something that everybody knew. You know, everybody knew that 
you know, in a few moments right before the death of Christ, Mary's going to anoint his feet. But as I looked at it a little bit more, I don't think that's it. I think he brings this out to remind people what happened earlier in Jesus' ministry. You see, there's an unnamed <clears throat> mystery woman in Luke that comes to Jesus with the expensive alabaster box, and she breaks that box, and she anoints Jesus' feet with her hair. It's early in the ministry. And he's in a Pharisee's house, and the Pharisee says, if Jesus was really a real prophet, if he really was who he said he was, he would know what type, what type of woman was cleaning Jesus' feet at that moment. And Jesus is sitting there knowing exactly who she is because he has already had an encounter with her. This is a prostitute that has received forgiveness from Jesus Christ, our Savior. And she was so thankful for that transformation that she wanted to come and she broke that alabaster box and thanked him for the forgiveness that she received for him for sins. She had already had an amazing experience, and she's about to have another one. And that's why John chapter 12, she does it again, because she's thanking the Lord Jesus Christ for something else. And here's why I bring this up. Jesus Christ loved her. He loved her enough to offer her the forgiveness that she needed for her sins. He loved her enough to want her to be a part of his family. He loved her enough to wash her clean. And that means that Jesus Christ loves everybody in this room. Regardless of what you have done, regardless of the darkness of your sin, regardless of the, the stuff that maybe you've done against somebody, whatever you've done, Jesus Christ loves you regardless of what you've done. All he wants you to do is ask forgiveness for your sins, and he wants to be your Savior. That's all he wants. And here is Mary, and he points it out. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet. He's saying that's when Jesus was first introduced to this family. And this family has a dark, sinful past, but now they have a bright future because they have the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an amazing verse, an amazing verse. So verse 3 says, So the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Man, that... They didn't say Lazarus. Isn't that interesting? So they sent this, and Jesus went, oh, yeah, Lazarus. Wouldn't it be great if, like, when you're sick and uh, someone prays for you, they don't use your name, but they say, hey, you know that person that you love, Jesus? Are you, are you, are you with me? Wouldn't that be great? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that person. Yeah, that person. I get it. That person, you don't even have to use their name. I love them. Wouldn't that be great? Walk up to somebody, he instantly recognizes you because he knows that you love them. I think that's awesome. But verse 4 says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So, and her sister and Lazarus, sorry, read that wrong. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So let's contemplate this. When he heard that the person that he loved was ill, he said, oh, 
I've got time. I'm going to stay in this area two more days. Isn't that odd? Like, if my family called me right now and said that they were on their way to the hospital, I would do everything I could to cut the sermon, sermon short, and you would say amen, maybe. I don't know. And then I would leave and go to the hospital. I would do everything I could to get to the hospital as quick as I possibly could. If it was Aurora, if it was, if it was Nicole, if it was Quinn, I would try to get there, right? You would too. If it was my parents, I'd try to get to the hospital as soon as possible. Jesus is like, oh, he's sick. I'll wait a couple of days. I'm just going to stay here. I love him dearly. You see, sometimes God doesn't move in your timetable. You want him immediately to be in your pain. You want him to immediately to be where you are. He, you want him to show up immediately, and he kind of just waits around. That does not mean that he doesn't love you. That means that your pain has a purpose beyond that moment. Jesus doesn't always bail us out immediately, and I'm glad he doesn't. We do not need a bailout. We need to be able to grow in him and in faith in him. So he waited. He waited. He loved Lazarus, and he waited. He waited to get there. He waited. He waited. So verse 7, <clears throat> then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, um, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again. So Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to go see Lazarus. I'm going to go there. And the disciples are like, okay, he's lost his mind. He's lost his mind. Um, I need to remind Jesus of something here. And so they speak up, and they said, Jesus, I don't know if you remember this or not, but the last time we were in that area, people were picking up stones to throw at you because they wanted to kill you. I'm not sure if that's the place you want to go to. Is everybody tracking? They would say, I think it would be safer. I think it would be safer if, if you kind of went away from the people that are killing you and maybe went in the other direction, right? And not go back to where the stones are. Because I don't know if you know this or not, Jesus, they still have a lot of stones in the area. There are still stones around. They're still there. They can still pick them up. They can still hurl them at you. You could still die, and they might achieve it this time. I don't know how we're going to get away if we go. And so Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night... He stumbles because the light is not in him. Have you ever had a conversation with Jesus and he responds with something and you're like, I don't even know if he's a part of the same conversation. <laughs> ever had that happen? I, I, have you ever prayed for something and God does this over here and you're like, I'm not sure that he understood the prayer over here, but he did this over here. I'm not really not sure what's going on here, right? And, and the disciples are listening to this, and if it was me, and one of them was named Philip, so I feel like I have a connection. <laughs> so, so it's like, uh, I, I'm talking about stones, Jesus. I'm not talking about daytime. I know there's 12 hours in the daytime. I know there's nighttime. But what in the world are you trying to say? I do not comprehend what you're trying to say. Listen, can we just all agree that Jesus is more intelligent than anybody that we know? 
He's more intelligent than anybody in this room. And his intelligence far exceeds ours. It's not even close. You know, we can't even reach his intelligence. So when he says something, he says something with a purpose. So why in the world is he talking about 12 hours of the day? And if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of his world, but of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because light is not in him. Why is he saying that? And I'll tell you why he's saying that. He's saying it because he is walking in the light and he is fully aware that there are stones in the area. He is fully aware that when he goes and sees Lazarus, he is going to face pain. He's fully aware of that because people that walk in the light are aware of the obstacles in front of them. They're aware of the pain that they have to get through to get to a resurrection. People that walk in darkness, and he says it here, people that walk away from pain that leads into a resurrection, that leads into life, people that run from that run into darkness and they stumble in the darkness because they're running away from pain that they don't want to have to get to life. They're running away from it so they won't experience that, but what they find is they're in darkness and they can no longer see the obstacles in front of them. Therefore, they're stumbling all over themselves. You understand what I'm saying? And I think you and I do this sometimes. We see pain here and we decide not to go toward the pain. We decide to run away from the pain. And when we run away from the pain, we wind up in darkness. The reason we wind up in darkness and stumbling over ourselves is because the pain is supposed to be a part of our story. God has it there. And we're supposed to work through it to get to the other side to where there is life abundantly. Well, Philip, what in the world could those stones be? What in the world could that pain be? Let me, let me just take a few moments to put this kind of really practically, okay? Some people stay in dead relationships because it's too much of a pain to do what is necessary to get rid of those relationships that they shouldn't be in. Some people just have these people around them that they have relationships with where they're living in darkness and they're constantly falling. Things are constantly going wrong and they're constantly tripping over stuff, right? And they know in the back of their minds that they just need to get rid of these people. Jesus knows they need to get rid of these people so that they can move into life. But to do that, that means they have to cut off these relationships Feel the pain of what that would feel like when you say, no more, I'm no longer going to have a relationship with these people. And you feel that pain in order to get life, life that only happens if you don't have those people in your life. Wow. Wow. And this is the pain that gets you to life. It's not that you don't love the people. See, that keeps you in there. It's not that you don't love people, the people that you're with in the darkness over here. You do love them. But you know God has a greater purpose for you than to be living in the sin that they're drawing you into so that you stumble and stumble and stumble and stumble and stumble, right? And it's the pain that you have to go through of, I need to dis get myself away from these relationships, go through the pain of that, that heartbreak so that I can be 
in a state of life. Yeah. I am not talking, let me be clear, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about other relationships. And there are just some people that you're still going to have to love because we love everybody, but maybe you shouldn't hang around them anymore because they're dragging you into sin, away from Jesus, into the darkness, and you really just need to follow him in the light. Does this make sense? And the pain of going through that is real. Here's another one. Here's another one. Some people <clears throat> stay in a dead-end job and never go through the pain of looking for something that fits how God has designed them so that they can live. Some people are stuck in a dead-end job. I am not stuck in a dead-end job. <laughs> Just to be clear, my, my job has resurrection as a part of it. But you might be stuck in a dead-end job. And the reason that you don't want to leave the dead-end job is because there's a pain of not knowing how you're going to provide for your family. There's a pain of not knowing what that job is going to be. But you really need to get out of that dead-end job and, and, and go through the pain of looking for another job that actually fits who you are so that you can be happy with the job that you are supposed to do for Jesus. Come on. Come on. Right? And so you move, and you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. That does not bring me fulfillment. I am made for something more. God wants me to do something else. I'm going to move through the pain of trying to get to life. And you go through those stones to get out of that. Here's another one. Some people, some people stay in debt, debt up to their eyeballs, debt over their heads. It's just a black cloud every month to try to pay off that debt. And you trip over it. Like, man, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to pay the credit card um, company this month. Um, but I, I've got to put money here, got to put money here, and you just got to have all this debt because you've bought into the concept that you need things to be happy. And so you did the charge card. And you got involved in debt over your head, and you can't get out of it. And so you're just wondering what in the world. And let me tell you, when you don't pay the credit card companies, they pay themselves. Chilling out a minute. They pay themselves. It's called interest. So you have this weight on top of you. And the stones for you, the pain for you is this. I have to come to a place where I don't have to have all this stuff so that I can pay off my debts and have financial freedom. And you go through this process, and it takes a while. And you get out of debt, you move through the stones, you move through the pain, and you get to the other side where you do not owe anybody money. <sighs> I don't have a car payment, I don't have this, it's just... Do you know what I mean? There is a freedom here that is right here. And if you're strapped financially, you have to do the work to go through the pain to get to life. Some people are just inundated with debt. Here's another one. Some people just know that they need to make a, a change. I don't know what the change is. I'm just going to be very general. They know that they need to make a change, but they will not do it because they're afraid of change and what that will cause. 
Maybe they have relationships with these people over here. Maybe, maybe it's something that they've done their entire life. Maybe it's going to be a major change in their life if they do this, and they don't know if they can go through the pain of making the change that they need to make to have a better life. And so they allow the pain to prevent them from doing that, and they run in the other direction, and they don't, need, they don't make the change that they need to make. Some people don't accept Jesus as their Savior. They do not get serious about Jesus because of the pain of losing friends in their current lifestyle. They love this lifestyle too much to make the change of following Jesus, and there's a pain to it. I love all this stuff. I, I, I enjoy all this stuff, and I'm giving up all this stuff that I enjoy. And the concept you have to come to is all that stuff is just death. And to give it up and accept Jesus means a new life in him, a fresh life full of vibrancy. Jesus Christ says that he came to give us life abundantly. So the pain of living, leaving that uh, past behind, not really understanding what the life in Christ actually means is a real pain. And some people just run from it and they stay in darkness and they stumble and they stumble and they stumble. Sometimes the pain is that you know that you need to ask forgiveness from someone and you just don't want to do it because it's too painful for you to restore that relationship. Right? And so you sit over here in darkness, knowing, stumbling, knowing that you need to apologize to that person, but you're not going to apologize uh, because it just would be too painful. Once you apologize, you don't know what they will say to you after that apology. You don't know how that conversation will go. And so it's kind of a fear. It's, it's a pain. And so you want to say you're sorry. You want that relationship to be what it needs to be. But, man, I, it's just hard for me to apologize. Listen, I, I get it. It is... It is very difficult for me to say I'm sorry, because to say you're sorry is to say that you're wrong. And the most difficult person that I have in my life to say I'm sorry to is Nicole, my wife. Because we're both positioning for power in the home. <laughs> right? And that's the stones, right? And if you say you're sorry, you go under, and they get on, like, is, is it very with you? You feel like that they're going to be over you for that moment. I'm sorry, and they're over, and they're looking at you. You're like, oh, my goodness, I'm just going to have to live under her glory for a while. <laughs> live under it, you know, to do it, right? But what you find is when you say you're sorry and you ask forgiveness, and there's, there's like, a, a healing in the relationship on the other side is life abundant. And actually, it's better life than you had before in your relationship with your spouse when that happens. And it's the same thing that happens with other people. Sometimes people run away from pain. And every time you run away from pain, you are running to death, not to life. The reason a lot of people do not have life abundant in their life is they've ran away from pain so much because it's safe that they haven't realized that maybe God's purpose for them is to run toward the stones, toward the pain, so that they can have a resurrection, so that they can have life abundant. Is everybody with me? So Jesus is here saying, you live in the light because 
To live in the light is to see the obstacles. To live in the darkness is to trip over the ones that you can't see. I might put it to you this way. Remove those stones, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> You're either seeing obstacles and meeting them head on or find yourself stumbling over the obstacles you didn't know were there. And the difference is light and darkness. So let's continue, right? Let's continue. Verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now I like Thomas. I like him. And so does she. That's cute. I like Thomas. I like Thomas a lot. Thomas is sitting here saying, you know what? We are going to die with Jesus if he goes there. So let's go do it. Let's go die with Jesus. Let's absolutely go die with Jesus. Um, I know the stones are there. I know there's pain, but Jesus is going, and I'd rather die with Jesus than die away from Jesus. I would rather die following Jesus than not be with Jesus. I would rather go with him and die than do anything else. And so Thomas is sitting here saying, yeah, I've got to get through this pain in order to get to what Jesus wants for me in my life. And if Thomas can do that, you can do that as well. So the text continues, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus has already been in a tomb for four days, four days in the tomb. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And you know, you and I know that there's a resurrection coming. We've heard it at every funeral that we've been to. One day these people are going to rise from the dead. We've heard that. So Jesus, we've heard that before. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming in the world. In verse 38, says this, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. She is saying that I know my brother stunk in life, but he really stinks now. That's what she's saying. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if I believed you would, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. Because sunstones are for throwing and other stones are for rolling away. 
So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Hmm. Unbind him and let them go. The more problems that you have in your life, the greater the miracle. The more problems you have in your life, the greater the miracle. Think about this. The whole world was in sin, the entire world. That's a problem. Is that a problem? Absolutely a problem, right? Jesus died and was buried. That's a problem, right? That's a problem. Three days later, miracle, resurrection. Not a problem, a miracle. Woo! Right? The whole world is in sin. Jesus died and rose again to cause a miracle to happen inside of you if you will just receive it into your life as a gift. You receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's a miracle that happens inside of you. You get new life. The bigger the problem, the greater the miracle. Woo! Greater the miracle. In this story, it's the same thing. Lazarus was sick. That's the problem. Jesus didn't come. That's the problem. Lazarus dies. That's a big problem. You see, he wasn't mostly dead. <laughs> he was really dead. Four days dead. What Y'all haven't seen the movie. Okay. Mostly dead. Wasn't mostly dead. He was really dead. That's the problem. Jesus arrives four days later. Problem. He's already in the tomb. There's a stone. Problem. Jesus calls Lazarus to come out. Miracle, not a problem. Miracle, not a problem. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Yeah, not a problem. Now, let's just think about this a little bit. Um, Lazarus, been up in heaven four days. It's 72 degrees in heaven. <laughs> he has on brand new clothing. He's eaten better than he's ever eaten in his entire life. I visualize they have filet mignon and Chick-fil-A <laughs> up there. So every so often, you know, he's just eaten. On the side, there's some Krispy Kreme donuts. I mean, he's living the life. It is absolutely amazing. Gabriel comes to his little dwelling. He opens the door. Hey, Gabe. Gabe says, hey. Gabe's wings going down a little bit. Lazarus, I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this, but we're sending you back. <laughs> We're sending you back, right? We're sending you back there. 
Why? What have I done? Have I sinned? No, I haven't sinned. I know I haven't. I haven't even cried. I mean, <laughs> why are you sending me back? Well, Jesus has called you. You got to go back. So Lazarus goes from heaven and he goes back. He hears his name called and he's in a tomb. He sees light through his bandages, right? And he hears Jesus and he goes from walking on streets of gold to this right here. Right? And there he is at the entrance of the tomb. Wrapped here, wrapped here. And Jesus says, untie him and let him go home. And he's back. And I can't help but think, that that had some things um, that changed Lazarus' perspective on life. For instance, we already know that this was for God's glory, right? We already read that passage of Scripture. Lazarus, he comes back, and he's alive, and Jesus tells him to go home, right? Tells him to go home. And he realized that Jesus had the power to raise him from the dead. The point I want to make here is this. It is great, and I'm excited about it, and it's the number one thing, okay? That Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that is absolutely incredible. But number two, second thing, is just about as good as the number one thing. And that is get this. Jesus Christ not only has the power to resurrect himself, he has the power to resurrect you. Amen. And he does this two ways. The first way is one day in the future, Jesus Christ is coming back. And he's going to call his people out of the grave. The dead in Christ will rise first and they will be changed into a body that is identical to Jesus' resurrection body without the scars. That is an amazing fact. The second resurrection that he does, he does now and may have done in your past, and that is this. He called your name out of your grave of sin and death into life. He called your name through the power of the Holy Spirit into new life with him. He called your name so that you would repent of your sins and come to him and start a relationship with him. He resurrected you on the inside. Jesus did this to call you out of the grave, both spiritually and physically. That is a resurrection. He is not keeping the power to himself. He rose from the dead so that he could raise you from the dead. He defeated sin and death so that you and I would also defeat sin and death and be victorious. Yeah. That's what he did. So the stones and the pain that you're running from are nothing. In fact, I would just like to know what Lazarus would talk about. Like, have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered why he didn't write a book about his near-death experience? <laughs> we have all these people that were dead for an hour or two, and they write a book, 
right? They write a book about going to heaven or hell. I'd be concerned if I went to hell and saw the hell stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff. They write the, these books. Lazarus never wrote a book. He never wrote a book about being in heaven, about being dead. He was dead four days. I think he had experience being dead. But he didn't write a book. So my, my question to him, if I was able to talk to him today about it, is how was it? How was it? How was it being dead? And I believe that he would come to us today and say this. How was it? I'll tell you how it was. Death was incapable of holding me down. Come on, church. Death is incapable of holding you down. And it's because of the resurrected Christ. Death has no victory, has no sting, has no power over the people of God. We are victorious over it. So he would be like, how was it? Well, death has no power over me. And that would change his perspective on everything else that he would experience in this life post-resurrection. Right? He would look at everything differently. So the question is, how did he see bad days going forward? Like when a bad day happened, how would he see that bad day? From a resurrected sort of, sort of mindset, how would he see that day? You see, the moment you realize you're alive, death doesn't have real power over you anymore. The moment that you realize that you're a Christian and you have the resurrected life inside of you, nothing in this world really has power over you anymore. You experience pain, you experience stuff, you feel it, but it doesn't have power over you. Every battle in this life becomes less if you're resurrected. You see it with a total different perspective. It is totally different. And Lazarus is resurrected, and every I believe every problem that came his way after that was just like, oh, this is nothing. I've been dead before. <laughs> right? And ladies and gentlemen, your relationship with Jesus and your new life in Christ is the same way because you've been resurrected. And this problem, this temptation, this whatever I am going through right now is nothing because I have been dead before and that no longer has power over me. No longer. No longer. You see, the dead are not good at fighting battles. The dead are not good at fighting battles. The living are the ones that are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what Romans says about this. It says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or stones or pain? Mm -mm. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amazing. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ in Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's all because of the resurrection. So, how did he see bad days going forward? Oh, they're nothing. I've been dead. How should you see bad days going forward and pain that God wants you to go through? That's nothing. My God rose himself from the dead. That's nothing. That is nothing. So I'm going to call Jill up here to play a little bit on the on the keyboard. And I submit to you today that just like Jesus called Lazarus' name, he's calling your name today. He's calling every name of every person in this room. Every one of you. For some of you, it's to be saved. For some of you, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you know it. You know it. And he has called you before. In fact, he's done more than that. He's rolled the tomb. He's rolled the stone away from the tomb. The door's open. It's open. He's calling your name. And he's saying, ask forgiveness for your sins. Come to me. Come to me. Ask me to be your savior. Come to me. Come to me. That's what he's doing. So today, I hope that you'll respond to that call and receive him as your savior. To other people in this room that are Christians, some of you are too busy visiting your tomb to have life outside of the tomb. Some of you are playing around with sin and death on a daily basis and you just will not let go of that. And Jesus is calling you today to quit going back to your tomb and to come out and face the pain of leaving that stuff behind so that you can go into new life, so that you can have life abundantly. That's the call to you today. For other people in this room, he is saying this, you know that that pain's here and you know that's something that I want you to go through, but you keep running from me. You keep running from me. What I want you to do is I want you to turn around and run to me. I want you to run to me, Jesus is saying, because I want you to see the obstacles in front of you before they happen. That way you can meet them head on. I will be with you as you're hit, hitting them head on. And as you get through all those obstacles in life, you will find that on the other side, there is life abundant. Does this make sense? And so you hit them head on. And maybe today Jesus is saying, hey, 
quit running from your pain, run to it. Because to run away from it is to run away from life, but to run to it is to run toward resurrection. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not gonna ask people to raise hands. I'm not gonna do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room and you wanna receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, just repeat this prayer after me. If you don't know what to say, just repeat after me. Just say this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus and him taking the punishment for my sins on the cross. I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I want to begin a relationship with you today. Please begin that relationship with me. Come into my life. I want you a part of my life. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. For everybody else in the room, keep your head bowed. I don't know what God has spoken to you about today, but this is what I do know. He's called your name for some reason. Whatever you're running from or whatever you're running to, you need to just take a few moments to pray to God about the conviction he's placed on your heart or the encouragement he's placed on your heart. And you need to talk to him about that. Because what he wants more than anything in the world is for you to be a better person. For you to fulfill your purpose that he has for you in this life. There isn't anybody he doesn't love. He loves everybody. He wants everybody to be a part of his plan and to fulfill their purpose that he's designed them for. So just take a few moments. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for being able to celebrate the resurrection of your son. It is an amazing thing. It's what we have hope in. I pray for the people in the room that have just asked to receive you as their savior. I pray that you, in a very significant way, will show them that you are now part of their life. They already feel the change on the inside. And I ask that you'll give them the courage to share that with someone in their family or someone today. For the people in this room that are Christians that just try to play it safe with everything that they do and run from pain, pain at every corner. I pray, Father, that you'll open their eyes to your purpose for them so they will see that pain in a different way. They'll see it less powerful than they ever had before because you're more powerful. They'll just see it as a tool to get to life. Christians who have been running away and they just haven't been dedicated to you, I pray that this is the moment that they run back and they dedicate their life to you and they keep that commitment this week 
and into the next week and into the next months. So we leave that into your hands. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand. We're going to sing two songs. I'm going to be up here at the front if you need me to pray with you. I'm here for, for that. Or if you just want to tell me that you received Jesus, I'd love to hear about that. Trust me, I'd love to hear about that. So as we sing, I'll be right here. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled.